Hello everybody, just got back from Mass in Thomas, and I wanted to give you guys a double header before I forget last weekend's homily and this weekend's homily that I forgot to record. Uh, well, I forgot to record last weekend's homily, so I'm going to give you last weekend's and this weekend's homily at the same time. Now the fun will be is that I honestly don't remember what last weekend's homily is about. It's here in front of me, uh, and so I'm going to be discovering it with you at the same time. I'm sure it'll come back to me, of course, but... Off the top of my head, I don't remember where I go with this after this first page. So we're going to be in this together. So, before I get to acting and do anything else, here we are. 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Uh, if you need to have a glance at the readings, I'll post a link to them at some point in, or as some part of this on SoundCloud. So, homily of 24th Sunday of Ordinary Time. There are now hours of my life that I cannot get back. Perhaps even days have been wasted since I arrived in Weatherford. Great grief and effort has often come to nothing. I am, of course, talking about time spent on the phone with AT&T. Not only myself, but others have spent untold hours slogging through annoying automated voices and unhelpful customer service representatives. I have frequently been on the mountaintop, doing more fitting priestly work, like writing homilies or thinking about campus ministry, only to be interrupted by a bill, call, or email from AT&T showing how depraved and overcharging our service had become, and I have to come down and deal with it. Often I have wished that God's wrath would flare up and consume AT&T, and that we could all just start over. In many ways, they showed themselves unfit to be our phone and internet company. Moses is up on the mountain in prayer to God and receiving the Ten Commandments, but has to go down and deal with what the people have become. God offered to destroy them and start over with Moses, just as I wanted many times to rip out all the phone lines and start over with some other company other than AT&T. Yet, at least in the case of the Israelites, mercy won out. At the request of Moses, God did not destroy them and start over, but instead forgave them and continued, continued on with them as his people. As of Thursday afternoon, all the major details are resolved with AT&T, and we continue on with their service. In the scripture, God has mercy on the Israelites, in the battle with AT&T, God had mercy on me. Genuinely, I give thanks to him for it. Leaving aside the phone company, the Israelites really were in a position to be rightly rejected by God. He would have been totally justified in wiping them out. They were supposed to be his people, yet within a few days of Moses being on the mountain, they were dancing around and worshipping a bull made of metal. Yet God has mercy on them. God has mercy but it is important to look at this case and see what mercy is and what it is not. Mercy is forgiveness, but it is not acting like the bad thing that was like the bad thing was not bad or that it didn't happen. The Lord relented in his punishment, but it doesn't mean that he was wrong to be angry. He was justified, but chose to forgive. This is why we go to confession. We go and acknowledge our sins because our sins are real and it is important to recognize that. We do not gain freedom from our sins by pretending that we are not sinners. To deny our sinfulness only makes us miserable because we know it isn't true. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. Archbishop Coakley is a sinner. Pope Francis is a sinner. Everyone is a sinner, but that is not okay. Sin is always bad and must be rejected. But it is in acknowledging our sins that we find mercy. If you ask him, Jesus will strengthen you for the difficult work of admitting your sins and asking for mercy. 
It is hard for us to admit our faults. Jesus knows that. But he also knows how much he wants to heal us and free us. As St. Paul says to Timothy, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. To free us from our sins is the whole purpose of Jesus' incarnation. If we don't accept that we are sinners, we reject Jesus as our Savior. This is the process the prodigal son had to go through. He had to admit that he was a sinner, desire to turn back to God, and make the effort to get back headed in the right direction. It didn't happen all at once. He had a long walk back home. Fullness of mercy was not instantaneous, but it was abundantly given. When he gets home, his father welcomes him back with joy. Does the father give the son a list of all the things he did wrong? Absolutely not. He knows what they were, but he doesn't hold them against him anymore. He doesn't say, It's okay that you took my property and used it for a wasted life. It wasn't okay. It was very bad. But the father loves him anyways. Sometimes, though, we don't like this parable. It scandalizes us how easily the father welcomes back his sinful son. We want him to be more angry. We want him to hold on to the hurt and sadness. But Jesus knew that would happen, so he kept the story going. If you think the father is too nice, suddenly you hear the, you hear the older brother saying exactly what you were thinking. That older brother, though, that's the greedy, jealous voice of the devil that doesn't want you or others to experience God's love and mercy. He's trying to tell you that God shouldn't be so forgiving to you, that he should wipe you out, and that you shouldn't even bother coming back to him. Do not listen to that voice. The father in the parable doesn't, and neither should you. Listen instead to the voice of the father, both the father in the parable and your heavenly father. I love you, and I want to have you back. Even if you deserve to be cast out because of your sins, I will not cast you out if you turn back to me. No matter how depraved and corrupt you may be, I desire to heal you. Back in the first reading, God threatened to wipe out the people and Moses pleaded with God not to. But I'm quite confident that God was never going to do such a thing. Instead, he spoke that way to give Moses the chance to express his love for the people. He wanted Moses to know what it really was like to be a father to the people, to have a heart for them, to love them. I will say once more, God loves you, loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He knows you are a sinner. He knows I am. He knows everybody is, but he loves us anyways and is always eager to forgive. Do not waste your life being unforgiven. That would be worse than wasting your life on hold with the phone company. Come to God, in the church, through the sacraments, and find out just how much he loves you. Okay, that was the 24th Sunday. I won't read through the announcements from that Sunday. You don't need that, even though they're right here in front of me. Now, on to... so Apparently, that was about the prodigal son. I remembered it partway through. We had Moses on the mountaintop. He was, go, he was up there, and God said, Hey, get back down there. Those people are becoming crazy. He had to go deal with that. And then the gospel was the prodigal son. So we were working with, uh, yes, righteous judgment in a certain sense. Wrongs were committed, uh, but... Mercy is what prevails, and uh, we don't get to mercy by pretending that we don't need mercy. We get to mercy by acknowledging, yes, we do need mercy. We are sinners, and so uh, that's how we receive God's mercy, by acknowledging that we are in need of it because we are sinners. Okay, 25th Sunday of Ordinary Time. This Sunday is September 22nd. 
The internet is a ridiculous place. Never trust it. To remind myself of this, I often look at, but do not click on, the junk articles that show up at the bottom of most real articles. Ones like, play this game for one minute and see why everyone is addicted. Or, the genius trick every REI shopper should know. Or, new rule in Oklahoma helps seniors born before 1970 pay off their mortgage. I don't know where these come from, but they are always there and are always ridiculous. I never click on them because I know that they are nonsense. And, by the way, all three of the ones I just listed are totally real. They are from the bottom of the CBS Sports page just yesterday afternoon. Someone, apparently, really does think that they will find a trick for paying off their mortgage. That they will be able to maybe get some cool stuff for cheap from REI. Or that they will be happy because they know about the game that everyone else apparently is into. I hope it's none of you clicking on these things, but somebody is or else they wouldn't continue to exist. These little dumb links are designed to make you think that there is some better way out there, that there is some secret you are missing out on, that life will be happy and great if you just learn this little bit of information. They play on our pride. We want to be part of the cool crowd that knows the insider information, who knows how to beat the system, who doesn't have to play by the rules. But what we should know is that it doesn't work that way. We know that those little things at the bottom of websites are lies. The only way to pay off your mortgage is to find money and pay it off. We are wise enough, I hope, to know that. But really, that kind of wisdom is low-hanging fruit. If you don't click on that junk, don't respond to spam emails from Nigerian princes, and don't worry about when they call, when the, quote, IRS calls, that they're coming to arrest you in 20 minutes. That's good, but we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back too much. We shouldn't be too pleased with ourselves, because there is a whole other level of lies that we fall into all the time. We may resist the spam on the bottom of websites, but most of us fall for the spam that the devil puts out, which is anytime we sin and turn away from God, we are clicking on the devil's junk links. What that looks like is focusing on being clever in the ways of the world, but missing out on the ways of God. Jesus accuses us, For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. What he means is that we, like the dishonest steward in the parable, are good at doing what we can to maximize our success in life. We focus on material success and comfort more more on that than on the spiritual life, even though the spiritual life is unquestionably more important. The first reading lays it out clearly. The prophet Amos rightly accuses the people. They know the laws. They can't do certain things until the Sabbath or new moon is over. These are the laws of these are the laws of God meant to help them focus on the life of faith. They are supposed to refrain from buying and selling during certain times so that they can be free to focus on God. But instead of instead their focus is on how they can't wait for this to be over so that they can go back to buying and selling. They only see it as things they are legally obliged to do, but they do not understand the purpose. God is giving them an opportunity to pray, but all they can do is think about themselves and how inconvenient it is. But I think we need to apply this even a step further. Look at it this way. At least they know what God has asked of them and are following it, even if they don't like it. I have to say, too often Catholics aren't even this good. We don't even know the things that we are supposed to be doing to even complain about having to do them. 
Would that we even observe the Sabbath or the other commands of God enough to lament that we have to wait to do other things. How great would it be for Catholics to lament, When will Friday be over so that we can have meat again? Because technically every Friday is still meatless, but we have the option now to do some other act of penance. Outside of Lent. Wouldn't it be wonderful if couples asked, How soon can we be married so that we can share the same bed? But as it is, Nearly everyone lives together and sleeps together before marriage, even though it will make the relationship better if they do not do that. How great it would be if Catholics even complained about the burden of having to make time for Sunday Mass when they were on vacation. Instead, many go on their travels as if God only exists at their home parish. How great it would be if Catholics lamented that not using birth control requires a lot more responsibility with the marital embrace. Instead, most couples use contraception of some sort, despite knowing that the church teaches otherwise. Now, not all are like this, and not all are ignorant, ignorant of these things on purpose. Perhaps you were just never taught. Perhaps it was never explained. I understand that. I am not condemning. But the reality is that Catholics as a whole are very minimal in the practice of their faith. A lot of people are at Mass on Sunday but it doesn't factor into much else of their family life any time the rest of the week. For the most part, we Catholics blend right in with the stream of the rest of secular society, being prudent business people and making sure we get our own, but not giving much labor to the kingdom of God. Now, perhaps I've made things a bit tense by saying all of this. I understand that. Jesus' listeners to this gospel today felt the same way. But I'm not going to leave it at just this. There is a lot we could be doing better. We constantly fall short of the things of God, myself included, but we are not without hope. We are never without hope. My hope is that you will see that there is much work for us to do on growing closer to God and believe that such work is possible. We are not struck. We are not stuck just knowing that things could be better. We have the means to be joyful, on fire, spiritually prudent Catholics right at our fingertips. Let me quote St. Paul directly. Beloved, first of all I ask that supplications, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be offered for everyone, for kings and for all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all devotion and dignity. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior, who wills everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We start with prayer. We have to start with prayer. Even if we are following all the right procedures but aren't really praying, we're just doing busy work. We should be praying at least attempting conversation with God, which is actually easier than you might think. We can even try it right now. Close your eyes, unless you're driving. Pause for a moment. Take a breath. In your head, say, Thank you, God. Maybe try that when you wake up in the morning and before you go to bed. You don't have to go to a monastery to pray. It can be done anywhere. Be honest with God. Tell him your hurts and pains. Give him thanks and ask him to bless those you care about and are worried about. After even just a little bit of this, you will want more of it, and then it will make sense to you to pick up other devotions. Once you start to have these little conversations with God, you will be drawn to the saints. The rosary might start to seem less daunting. And once you get rolling on talking to God and hanging out with the saints, who are his friends, then the hard things that God asks of us in faith then those things will begin to make more sense. Once you start to live a life of prayer, 
Skipping a meal or giving money doesn't seem that bad. Once you start talking to Jesus' mother in the rosary, keeping a chaste relationship before marriage doesn't seem so impossible. Once you are more okay having a conversation with God, it will seem less incredible that the church insists on the defense of life from conception to natural death. So when we look back at those whom the prophet Amos criticized, yes, it is still true that they have their priorities wrong, that they are focused on worldly things instead of godly things, but now we can see that they, that they got that way because they lacked a real relationship with God. The reality is, we will always be tempted to make more effort to get our kids to soccer practice than to get the family to Mass. We will always be tempted to demand hard work from our employees, but for some reason be okay with lax work and studying for the faith. That's how it is because we are sinners. But with God's help, starting with prayer, we can break through and be the people that God focus the people that focus on God first. If we start with prayer and focus on our relationship with the Lord, then everything else will seem easy. If we love Jesus first of all and spend time with him and trust him to give us the grace we need, then we can be the church that means something. Then we can be the church that attracts new members. Then we can be the church that we are supposed to be, the church where God wills everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Thank you for listening through the second homily. Uh, I don't intend to do double headers like that, but that's better than just skipping one. Um, a big thank you to all the people who uh, helped make possible the uh, potluck lunch. Sort of officially welcome me to Weatherford now, I suppose, finally. Uh, it's been a while, but um, not, there's no judgment. The harvest and things were happening. It's hard to get you know, big events together. So uh, thank you to all the made who all thank you to all who made that possible. It was good to uh, get to know people you know, more than I might see otherwise, and, and sort of a uh, more than just a handshake line outside of mass to have a little bit more time to talk. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, I don't know if you want to know about something or hear about something. Let me know. It might be fun. I'm always up for more ideas. Um, Please pray for me. There's a lot going on here in the parish, in the church. Uh, Lord have mercy. We need more priests. But I'm doing the best I can, so pray for me. Pray for all of us in Weatherford and Hinton and Thomas and everywhere else. That I'll just pray for everybody. Why not? We all need it. So uh, God bless. Have a good afternoon or whatever time you listen to this. Bye.